You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Love of Pages Book Club. Good to see you all, even though we can't see any of our audience members. But I get to see the lovely Jessica and Steven's faces, which always make my day better. Adventure that was Steven's catalyst and Jessica's idea. I just get to t- get to come along. So um, we are starting a new book. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Everybody got the chance to read the first two parts of Scythe by Neil Schuster. Not gonna lie. (laughs) The good news is, and I'm very clear, I'm a fast reader, but I solidly read both parts this morning and over my lunch break. It's a fast read. It's it's a fast read. Yeah. Um, So, which was excellent. But before we get into the book, I want to. Throw it over to Jess. Mm-hmm. Why are we reading Scythe? Um, I read Scythe. I got it for the cover, um, pretty much <laughs> in the library. Um, it just something about it was so intriguing, even though I was kind of sort of at the time done with future books and done with dystopian books and just like, ugh, it's run by an AI. But the cover was just so beautiful. It's like, I'll give it a try fell in love with it and got nobody else to read it. Like just all my friends were too busy at the time. And I, um, quite recently, the third book, which yeah, sorry, it's a trilogy, but (laughs) the third book came out the beginning of this year. And so it's been on my mind again. And I kind of read the third book and forgot half the stuff that happened in the first book, of course. But, um, but it's just like, Oh, I like this concept so much like I thought I would go in not liking it and being done with that kind of genre but it got me back into it and it's such an interesting concept of the future and so different and it kind of sort of helped helped me out and how I think about things in my life and so it's just a book that honestly I just really wanted to force other people to read and I could force them all to read it so <laughs> I was in, I was in the exact same spot as you um so this this one this one clearly has a lot of a marketing push from the publisher. Uh, it's it was consistently in Walmart at like all of the checkout like stands, um, like featured on the side of wherever they feature books in other stores that don't even sell books predominantly. Uh, and it was one I picked it up one time because I was like, well, you know, I see this everywhere right now. I flipped it over, I read the back of it, and I was like, my god! And I put it right back down uh, because on its face, like it sounds like so much of the normal trope things of young adult books but i'm having a great time it's it's a great time and the characters are very witty and sharp like all of them are fairly witty and sharp and you're just like okay like so if you had to sum this book up in two sentences i i got this one if you want this is never enough but like I've got this. I've got this if you want it. It's a simple equation for me here. I've told you guys about this before. Do it. I think it's the giver plus Hunger Games. Ah. 
Okay. Like th- that's that's 100% how I get this one. Um, <laughs> like even in oh. like personality types for the characters and everything, I think we have like the same kind of division of personalities. Um, like the, the idea of an older person who's passing a thing along that's kind of like mystic and you don't really know the entire history of things. And that's part of the fun of unraveling it. Uh, even though I never read the rest of Lois Lowry's books for that whole series for The Giver, which I feel bad about, but and I don't, I don't mean The Giver plus Hunger Games in any kind of like derogatory way. Like it, they're, they're fine. I, I read, I read both. I read The Giver, loved The Giver, and then all the Hunger Games books I've read. So, no, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, except the new one. So before we jump into talking about the book, because I have bones to pick with one where we chose to stop. Which is an excellent place. You're welcome. Bones to pick. Before we get to that, we do need to discuss our beverage of the evening, um, which Jessica and I did two different recipes of the same drink, and Steve did the wonderful mocktail version. Um, So we did the lemon drop because lemon drop martini. Yes. So I think this book this option came to both Jess and I mm-hmm. because in the opening scenes one of our main characters uh, Citra Scythe Fariad is that how I pronounce his name? Fariad the mentor oh he's the in, he comes into Citra's home and drinks lemonade is it, is it Faraday? Yeah, Faraday? Faraday yeah Faraday like, like Daniel Faraday or Michael yeah. Faraday Michael Faraday I'm terrible with pronunciations. So oh, speaking of, like- of pronunciations, for like probably 24 years of my life, I said Sith. <laughs> you were predisposed yeah, to that Wars because fan. Star Wars. Yeah. No, I, I honestly think it's because I, you know, I learned how to read in Texas and their horrible phonics system. <laughs> I mispronounce words all the time and like either nobody corrects me or I just don't say I don't say scythe enough. <laughs> realize I said it wrong until somebody it's said it to me. Word. We, you know, we scythe things all the time. I mean, I know. This, this <laughs> one, I could have ne- like as like sweet little baby Steven would have never gotten this particular word wrong because like my favorite Gundam in Gundam Wing, uh, I two favorite Gundams. Uh, there's the main Gundam, and then the second one is Death Scythe, and it's the most edgelordy nonsense name. That that makes me very happy. <laughs> yeah. So if I slip and say Sith, it's because I was saying it that way for most of my life, and only quite recently got corrected on how I'm saying it. Feel like this is the equivalent of the fact that Benedict Cumberbatch can't say the word penguin. Penguin. <laughs> penguin. Penguin. I, I, so I feel like that's that's permissible because that's how I feel about Scythe, but. So for my lemon drop, I um, couldn't find a martini glass, so I used a margarita glass at Goblet. And um, a single batch of lemon drop just looked so small in it, so I did a triple batch. But a single batch of lemon drop, at least the recipe I found, is two ounces of vodka, one ounce simple syrup, and the juice of a lemon. Mm-hmm. Pretty much it. And then I know, Jessica, you twisted it up a bit. I did. I have to twist things up. Well, I put lemon sugar on the rim and then I realized my pre-made simple syrup went bad. So I had to make simple syrup and I threw in a few lemon wedges in just to make it a lemon simple syrup as well. And then 
I also added just a little bit of orange liqueur to make it just slightly sweeter and a different flavor profile. It came out. Came How out was your simple syrup gone bad? Two parts sugar or two parts water, one part sugar, or two parts sugar, one part it's water? Even parts, even parts, or yeah, usually even parts. But um, <laughs> it's I've had it for a while. It was like a like a bar. It was mm. I did not make it myself. It was simple. Mm. Um, and it just didn't look quite right. It didn't look pretty anymore. I think I bought it like a year ago and I went, oh, I'll just, I just decided to add more onto my plate and make a simple syrup. Because you've got, you know, all this free time. I know. <laughs> so, and then Steven is uh, repping our mocktail version of the lemon drop, which is just lemonade. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a sun-kissed lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> because once you take out the vodka out of a out of a lemon drop, it's really just lemonade i mean i should have made an actual like lemonade here at home and everything i 100 i just didn't think about that part it's not <laughs> a part that i consider like i i don't think of making a drink with a book ever i'm just like yeah whatever it's called <laughs> you know what it works it works so for you fellow viewers and listeners if you want to join us you can either grab a cold lemonade out of the fridge or throw some vodka in it and make it a lemon drop <laughs> Yeah, that is the easiest way to make a lemon drop. Just throw some vodka and lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with your beverage in, of choice in hand, I'm going to pass it back over to Jess to jump in because she's leading us on this wonderful adventure of sight. Oh, why did I agree to that? Okay. So, <laughs> so say no to me. All right. I'll, I'll start out with the obvious. Um, what are your first initial thoughts? Of just generally the book, like writing style. So for me, the writing style is very easy to read. It's it, and that's one of those things. I I often run into issues with the content of young adult, mm-hmm. not because they don't have good storylines, but because it, there's an age. There's definitely an an ageism issue there, and it's hard for me to sometimes see myself in characters because mm-hmm. obviously we're no longer teenagers so yeah what but, <laughs> but the is very engaging very easy to read there's enough detail to give me a picture in my head without so much detail that i get lost in the minutiae mm. um, so the writing style is very nice i will say i was not completely sold for the first couple chapters on the storyline because I was Same. like, oh, this is just going to be one of those like hero's journey kind of really bland, been there, done that. Mm-hmm. The thing that got me was when we got introduced to Scythe Goodard and the politics structure. I the whole thing. Yeah. I've, as much as I wanted to like make you guys read it, I was like, there is politics in it. So. I was like, Elizabeth would like that. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, that was immediately, like, where I was going when, because, like, in between we get these, and I could not figure out who Curie was till we got introduced to her, but you get the mm-hmm. um, the uh, excerpts from the Gleaning Journal of H.S. Curie, mm-hmm. and you got to those commandments, and... I read those commandments and I was like, oh, there are so many ways you could corrupt this. Like, this is so not, <laughs> this is so not a sufficient form of governance. Like, yeah. There is so much wrong with this potentially. 
Like all it takes is one bad apple. And wouldn't you know, I then get to watch all the politics play out uh, that come from that. So that was very exciting. But then I have the bone to pick with you about the fact that where we stopped was one a cliffhanger that I just took all of my energy not to keep going because I was like, no, no, mm -mm, I'm not not okay with it. Not okay with it. Done it. I mean, speaking no, from my side, honor, don't talk to it. I honor them. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was number one, and number two, I did think that that twist where um, Rowan ends up as apprentice to Goddard, I thought was just a little too cliche. Like, I get why they're teeing it up that way. And I hope there are a couple things that I think that they could do to change that in terms of what it's traditionally done as. But it was definitely, I'm like, mm, not so sold on that twist. The other bone I have to pick with you is the fact that this is a trilogy, which means I know I'm going to be just as unhappy when we finish part five because it's not going to come to a resolution. And then I'm going to have to find time to read two additional books on top of everything else. It's it's Okay. <laughs> It's she just she signed you up for a whole three books of good times. That's okay. This is this is true. It's significantly better and more political. <laughs> I, that part I like. I definitely like that part. <laughs> Those are my general overall first impressions. Uh, okay. For this one, for me personally, um, in the beginning of it, when I first started reading it, uh, I'm I'm real picky. At first, if if something is uh, leading too hard into what I feel are like the, I don't know, I guess like the expected ideas of any genre of anything, mm-hmm. um, the names for this book, like the, the names of the characters, I was like, come on, <laughs> like I, I I was I was like these are the most like these these are the most young adult book names ever, Citra um, and Rowan, yeah. Yeah, and I even like the name Rowan. There's a whole series of sci-fi books from the '80s that I love, where like the one of the main characters is named Rowan, and it's like she's the Rowan. It, it I I was predisposed to like this name. Uh, uh-uh. uh, nope. I was pissed about it, and they didn't have my attention until they really went into the idea of the names of the sides being based on so much on like scientists and stuff. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm here. I like this. <laughs> you yep, me back scientists, um, historical figures in general. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, like uh, like we have um, uh, Mandela that's in there, mm-hmm. um, Faraday, obviously Marie Curie, uh, and a few other ones. I'm just like, I, I really like this structure. Can we discuss? I have to find the names. Hold on, keep going, keep going. Okay, uh, a thing that I didn't like for it was um, a little bit of the the world building stuff. Like mm-hmm. I, I get a lot of the ideas of. Um, how, how this world is supposed to work and we're supposed to like you suspend disbelief for the sake of story in yeah. literally anything mm-hmm. i just don't think the whole not keeping track of time thing would ever happen how do you keep like any business or anything like that going on like with your record books and you don't keep track of the years year over year there'd be so many issues but that's me being picky uh, and i really like this book <laughs> <laughs> I feel, yeah, I feel like that might be answered more in the second book over because, mm. well, 
I don't know about you, but at least Elizabeth for sure hasn't been quite introduced to exactly what the Thunderhead is. Like you kind of hear it mentioned and you know it's like an AI that kind of runs everything. Overlord. Yeah, it's basically like an overlord, but you haven't heard the Thunderhead yet or like really gotten into what the Thunderhead is. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that actually might even be in later books that you really get a full set of, oh, yeah. There's one joke that they make in um like actually like later on in the book is in, in no way shape or form future spoilers or anything they make a computer joke with the thunderhead where they mention a like um a spinning beach ball oh. for a pro- for a processing thing and i was like okay glad to know that parts of the old world stayed around <laughs> those things do happen i mean we've got yeah, we've got slang from ancient times that we still use. So. It's true. The two, the two lines that struck me the most was when they were getting ready to go into conclave, which I mean, there's the whole religiosity aspect of that that I just I'm, I'm grappling with. But because um, uh, there's, you know, the whole separation of church and state and all that fun stuff. That there is, there is no state, so <laughs> blowing up. But the concept of where the direction mid-America goes the rest of the world follows and I'm like mm-hmm. that is so colonialist of I mean I get he's an American writer and I get it's based in America but I'm like that's like just nail on the head just a little too much but I, I will say like that's the idea of that stuff in general I know like, it's yeah. an unfortunate like it's like a, it's almost a truism for Americans. We, we we made the entire map around ourselves, guys. Oh yeah, come on. Yep, <laughs> I, yep. I completely get it. But then the other one, and this is the one that just made my day. Like when I when I read this, I laughed so hard. Everybody in my office thought I was losing my mind. But when the three new Siths get sight, you did it. You did it. It's catching. <laughs> So the three new scythes um, get appointed, get um, ordained. Yeah, the better term. Um, I think it's actually the one they use in the book, their, even. Yeah, and they cho- they choose their three names. You have Scythe Goodall. Okay, mm-hmm. get that one. Scythe Schrodinger. Okay, I get mm-hmm. that one. And then Scythe Colbert. Yeah. Um, so this this one I have I, I forget the name of the person, but um I believe this is also a scientist. Yeah, no, it, but it is not the Colbert I thought of when I read it. <laughs> you, think, uh, you you thought of Stephen? Yeah, not famous enough. Like, are you? That's exactly who I thought of. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm fine with it. I'll t- I'll take Scythe's Colbert. I'll, I'll I'll take Scythe. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, I'll take the Scythe Daily. That would be great. <laughs> It would be wonderful. Scythe Noah, Scythe uh... <laughs> Oliver. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So I read Scythe, I, I read Scythe Colbert and I was like, no. Nah. I was like, they have to mean the scientist, but that is not what immediately popped in my head. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Post mortality, he's what sticks around in twenty forty two. Now I want the I want the Thunderhead to be voiced by John Oliver if they make a movie. That would be wonderful. That, that would be great. 
Actually, it would be great. It really <laughs> would fit it. I would love so it. Happy. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, that was, those were probably like the two highlights for me. Mm-hmm. Those okay. were the two highlights for me. Now, as a, like, um, I, I, I was just curious. So, uh, for you, Jess, you read a lot of young adult books. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I don't read a ton of young adult books, but in no way, shape, or form do I like shy away from them if there's something mm-hmm. that has a good story. So I've read a lot. For you, Beth, have you read a lot of young adult books? Yeah, I have read a fair amount of young adult books. I have not recently. Okay, makes sense. I- Certainly in teens, early twenties, even through college. I read a lot of young adult because young adults easy to pick up mm-hmm. when I needed a break from law adult. textbooks. Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> law textbooks generally cheaper in price as well. Yeah. Also, that poli sci textbooks, econometrics, you know those things. <laughs> <laughs> when I needed a break from that, young adult was easy to pick up. But I probably haven't picked up a young adult book in seven, eight years. Okay, yeah. all right. So, you got her back on the horse. It's, you it's did it. it. I got her back on the pond again. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I will say, like, I do read a lot of young adult. I've been shying away from it lately and going more into separate genres, just because it has been a lot of the same thing over and mm-hmm. over again. A lot of the same tropes, and one of the big tropes that happened, like, in these last few years, is having main female characters just being cruel in order to get their way. And like, Mm. sometimes there would be for good reasons because like they were abused in the past or the typical young adult reasons why you become cruel. But I just don't love reading in the point of view of somebody that does cruel decisions or cruel things. And I just, I was done with it. So, um, but mainly when I read young adult now, it's actually sci-fi, probably sci-fi young adult now in the last few years yeah so but yeah it's been just weird and this was another reason why i think this stood out to me when i first read it too was because citra was sort of a really refreshing female lead of a character especially being written by a male too Mm -hmm. probably is what helps her more than anything is being written by because she's just has such an interesting she's in your face about it but she truly cares at the same time i don't know just citra is intriguing to me as a person so i I did think her character i don't um i felt a little odd in the beginning of like with her change from the beginning of the book uh and her first exchange with faraday and everything Mm -hmm. um to later on where um i just i there's something different in the the characterization of the person mm-hmm. for me where I don't necessarily, I, I, she seemed more, I have not thought this through. So, uh, she kind is more calculating for sure. And he thinks things through in a background kind of way. And so it's mm-hmm. nice to have that, that balance of things. Yeah. But I also thought in the beginning when we were introduced to her, that she also had a lot more calculating background thought than we get from her later on in the book. Yeah. And I think it's more right now they're focusing on her weaknesses per se towards how because she is she is calculating in her way and her different manner, but she doesn't like being in the dark about anything. And I think that's Mm -hmm. 
that's her natural weakness, which Faraday points out and manipulates constantly is she doesn't like not knowing what's going to happen next. Um, whereas Rowan is that counterpoint where he's just like, well, <laughs> what am I going to do about it? It'll be fine. <laughs> like where she's like, no, but I think that's more her difference in calculation is that Rowan is fine with just letting things go. And she's like, no, nah, shady shit's going down. Like we should be asking more questions. Like, <laughs> No, this is not okay. I did a good job of. Go ahead. I don't know you're. I do feel like Rowan is like, yeah, shady things are going down, but there's no point in asking about it because nobody's going to give us answers. So you might as well just keep observing. Like you and I both know what's going. Like we both Mm -hmm. get it. But we'll be fine. I'm not going (laughs) to worry about it till I can do something about it. Which, I mean, I think in that situation, I would probably be of the same mind as him on that one. Like, you still, like, collect, collect your information and everything, but you don't need to weaponize it yet. But also, I don't know if that's given me success in life. I don't know. <laughs> See, and I definitely, I I empathized with Citra and the concept of, I don't like not knowing. What do you mean you aren't going to tell me? What does this test look like? How does this, why is there no agenda to this meeting? Like, you're telling me there is no written agenda to this meeting? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, my, my, my favorite of her's complaint was like, y'all just washed on the same basin of water. Like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, in a time where you don't need to worry about diseases, by the way, she said, ew. <laughs> like, I mean, it's still nasty. It's still gross. They, the writer did a really good job for me of uh, making me like Scythe Faraday. Where I think like it would be so easy for them to set up the idea of a character who's supposed to be the older mentor kind of like uh, sympathetic kind of role and have that fall flat. They did a good job. I, I think everyone is well, like well voiced in general and they all are really separate characters. Uh, and I, I appreciate that. There are a lot of books that do not nail that. The only character I think that falls flat for me is the High Blade. Xenocrates? Xenocrates. Yeah. What a name. Yeah. Because I don't know where that one comes from. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I can't quite. It, he doesn't seem to have any motivation for the actions he does. At least as of right now. In his <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was like. Oh. <laughs> Don't say nothing. Yeah, no, 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 no future <laughs> But within within the first third of the book, like you get that he's paired with Goodard. Like you you get that he's mm-hmm. on Goodard's side. He doesn't seem to get the satisfaction. And Goodard is very much and one of the things I do actually enjoy about young adult literature is that you do tend to at least have a very clear bad guy and a very clear good guy. I don't and like that part. I don't like that part. You often get a lot of people in the middle. For me, I like those distinctions when I'm reading something just for fun. Just okay. as because I don't I read so much in my day-to-day job where mm-hmm. I have to be paying attention to all the nooks and crannies and I have to make determinations really focused on each line and each action that when I want to read for leisure, I'm mm-hmm. looking for something that I don't necessarily have to parse apart. That's fair. For in okay. detail to figure out who is the good guy, who's the bad guy. Like I don't want to. I don't necessarily like having that 
as my main characters. I like having middle characters who kind of go back and forth and you're like, eh, they're not so great. They're not so good. You know, but mm-hmm. I like my protagonist and my antagonist to be set apart. Identical. Good. Yeah, yeah no, no. You, you want that to be the chocolate and that the peanut butter. You don't want it a Reese's in yeah. the middle. I actually like <laughs> Reese's. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Um, you, you wait. Did you? Did we just find? Do you? You hate Reese's peanut butter cups? I hate Reese's peanut butter cups. <gasps> That's the name of this episode. Elizabeth <laughs> <laughs> hates Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> also, side. <laughs> um, but uh, so, I get that he's paired with Goodard, but he doesn't seem to have the malicious intent Goodard does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing where his motivation's coming from, but you really don't. Get, it doesn't seem very calculated. And, and um, for this one, what what is it that you think is kind of like, as of right now, what is he sticking with Goddard on this stuff from? Or- because he fears Goddard taking over. And so it's strictly a preservation of power. Okay. Like, that one's fair. I'm going to align myself with the person that is the most risk to my position. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I do anticipate backfiring on him because it normally does in those situations, but he doesn't seem to be particularly smart about it. I, I would I agree. I, I mean, he's got things. a gilded gold robe, so yeah, come across as smart. <laughs> um, so it's gonna be heavy. How, how do you guys feel about the idea of this kind of system? Humans gleaning like, humans yeah. that are immortal. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, to be quite honest, in this situation, I think it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. To have some be- because, because of the immortality of humans in this one? Yes. If you yeah. take the immortality of humans, you have unlimited humans and limited resources. So you either have to sterilize everybody or you have to start killing people like mm-hmm. those those are your only options because you have limited resources limited supply means you have to regulate demand mm-hmm. the way mm-hmm. it works um those regulations can be based on economy based on fertility based on death i mean that's just what you get i think that the concept of putting them above the law makes sense to a certain extent except there needs to be more regulation internally then. Like the the Ten Commandments, as vague as they are, leave too much to exploitation. Yeah. Now this is the only thing that is regulated solely by the humans that are in it. The Thunderhead has absolutely nothing to do with it, even though the Thunderhead is considered to be absolute perfection and to always make the best decisions that it possibly can with the logic it has. The Thunderhead decided that there is emotions involving in death that therefore meant that it could not be the one to, to decide who died, that it should be a human that gleans a human and not. Because the Thunderhead could. The Thunderhead could just flip a switch on the nanites and yeah, kill but a person, no problem. Like, just think, utter randomly. But I think the reason that that one doesn't happen, even though they give other reasons for that one, is for the preservation of the idea of the Thunderhead being in charge of everything else. If mm-hmm. someone, if the Thunderhead was all like 
this overarching kind of thing but then it was also the arbiter of death for this one people would inevitably rebel against it in my mind yeah rebel or fear it and this and i don't think it wants to be feared necessarily and i'm going yeah so it it gets to be a provider while humans Mm -hmm. are the ones that do the killing yeah um one thing that i like that's pointed out in the book is the consequences of immortality and one of the big consequences is pointed out when they go to the museum before i think it's like right before they decide to become apprentices well when they to faraday yeah yeah Yeah, or when they get first offered it they go to the museum and they have the age of mortality and they can compare it to the artworks of their current time Mm -hmm. and how you lose that and which I found interesting because they still do have a chance to die in horrible ways. I mean, you see Faraday, he doesn't always choose the nicest of ways for somebody to die. He has a very interesting method of using statistics of how people would, I actually loved how he picked it out because um, it made logical sense to be like, well, statistically you would have died in a car accident. So you're going to go, but he, you know, he chooses, there was a statistic of people with heroics going after to save a dog in a flood. And even if you're a good swimmer, you're probably going to drown in a flood kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he actually drowned that person. So for early on, in the- I mean, it's still a fearful death, but you still lose the artwork. You still lose the ability to be creative. Like, can you be creative without the fear of death over you? I'm going to say no. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's pretty much like it, it's it's a well-known thing. Like when um, mm-hmm. there's this this quote that's um, uh, young people they have all of the ideas and none of the money to make those ideas real. Older people have all of the money but none of the ideas. I think there's just this natural kind of progression that happens with mm-hmm. life in general. Whereas you get a little bit older, there's just not the same kind of determining factors that make you make something that's truly creative. And Mm -hmm. as much as that sucks to say, I really think that we have observed this being true. Pretty much all of the bands that anybody likes when they got old, those albums are bad. They do. And not everyone, this doesn't hold true for absolutely every person. There are some people who make great art and everything while they're older, but Mm -hmm. a lot of it's trash. Well, I mean, and the other thing is, is, you, a lot of your creativity comes from emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's an emotional thing to create, and so if you're not used to the emotion of fear, of loss, of those kinds of it, it's hard to put emotion on paper when you don't have any emotions. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I'm really glad that this book addresses because I don't think it's addressed sufficiently enough when you build utopian societies that immortality is a thing the mm-hmm. lost drive yeah becomes so significant and they mention the fact that thunderhead actually leaves in some inequality because you need to have some driving factor to, to get some, some want to live <laughs> people going um so it's kind of interesting that I'm glad that they kind of address that as being an actual issue in society because I feel like a lot of utopian 
books just kind of gloss over the fact that, no, of course nobody has any interest in doing anything because there's no point. Mm -hmm. All of your needs are taken care of. You're not going to die. Like, there's just why, why bother? They're just the Eloy. Yeah. (laughs) You've got two of those. (laughs) Um, So I was glad that they approached that very much. I do also like, um, I assume, Tiger and his splatting. I didn't like that part. (laughs) I I get the concept of it, but it was, I I don't know. I, I, I don't hate it, but it, it also seemed like um, like a world building thing mm-hmm. rather than a character trait. Yeah, no, it's definitely a weird a world building thing. But I thought, oh it was yeah, for sure, put in the world building as mm-hmm. opposed to just talking about generally the concept of people. You have splatters, mm-hmm. like to have that through an individual character was kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, because I, I agree with that one. Like, I I yeah. like when you introduce. Um, like an aspect of the world through a character like this. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have read any cyberpunk novels or anything, but there's one, um, it's Snow Crash. And the entire opening of the book, the whole way that they describe the world is through what pizza delivery is in this world. And it's wonderful. Okay. <laughs> See, I've I've read another sci-fi novel, which was another one that I almost picked but it's super sci-fi, which is interdimension. And he determined what dimension you were in by what color the submarine is for the Beatles. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> so it's, that's like um in uh, sliders. Every time they yeah. try to go, go back home, they check the gate to see if it's squeaky. <laughs> <laughs> if it, like in, in sliders, they got home one time, but he went and tried to squeak the thing and it had just been oiled. Aww. And they went on to the next world. Yeah. Quinn didn't get to go home. Quinn died. That's so sad. All right. Just, do you have any other final questions for us? Let's see. Um, okay. Well, I guess I'll go with, which I don't know if you can answer this, Stephen, but um, who do you think, who do you want to win? Who do you want to be the next Scythe? That's a hard one. And why? You got, you got anything for this one, Elizabeth? Yes, but nobody's going to like my answer. I want them to burn the whole system down. <laughs> I know. I, I think that's squarely what we get. I, I think that is very much what happens. Um, so That's why we got three books. Based on, based on where we're at, I want Madame Curie, or well, not Madame Curie, but I want Scythe Curie to mm-hmm. become the High Blade. Okay. And I want Citra and Rowan to both be new Scythes. Um, I want. Rowan to be on the gleaning committee, and I want um, Citra to be on the entrance committee. Mm. Okay, I think I, I I want them like pretty much all to die in every like in the restoration of like a previous system. Like the the Thunderhead is still around. Uh, and there's nothing that's determining all life or anything, but mm-hmm. it's also there to help humanity from going too off the rails because we certainly have a propensity for it. So wait, so you want the Thunderhead system to all be blown up too? No, no, no. I want the Thunderhead to be there, but um, to not be in like as um, as prevalent as a role as it is currently. Uh, and want- like, okay, I don't want sides to exist. Um, I, I think that's. 
that that's that's a doo-doo system. Okay. Yeah. That's good. All right. I think that might be it. I mean, I do have like two pages worth of notes, but it was mainly just me <laughs> writing down the quotes that I really like. What, what, well, t- tell us a quote that you really liked. Oh, see, now I have to like search for one. Vamp for um, her. Vamp, Elizabeth. Vamp. Well, I, while Jessica's looking for a great quote to end it, I'm going to go ahead and move into our footnote um, because we don't get a chance to often talk about um, things that relate to the book. And so we figured for this one, Neil Schusterman would be a good topic for our footnote because at least for me and from the sounds of it for Jessica and Steven, like we never heard of new Neil Schusterman until this series mm-hmm. the fact that he's written like a hundred books books or something what? at least according to goodreads is 100 books which that could be like multiple copies too yeah, well, so. i mean like he's got um, on like wikipedia they have like 12 series yeah he so yeah i know there's one major series that he, i think it's unwind or something like that and he also yeah he also has a book called that i really want to read and i think it's called is it called? Oh, I can't remember. I can picture the cover, but it's basically it's another futuristic one where there's hardly any water. I think it might be called Dust, but I can't remember if that's hmm. Dust or I've got Unhold, Challenger Deep, Unwind, Dry, Dry. There we go. That sounds right. <laughs> that sounds right. It's like like, dust. Which looks like it's a a it's a red cover with like a black leaf that's like or feather that's like wilting. Hmm. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, so Neil Schusterman was born in November 1962 in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. New York. Um, the thing that I found really interesting is apparently while he was in high school, he his family moved to Mexico City, um, where he attended the American School Foundation for his junior and senior year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the part I found really interesting is because he, it looks like in several interviews he states that having his international experience changed his life and gave him a fresh perspective, which really resonated with me because I know that one of my favorite things having done up to this point is studying abroad uh, several times. And I just, I, it's one of those things that I'm like, anybody who's like, should I study abroad? Should I go abroad? I'm like, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Like there's don't, don't finish the question. That's, that's the answer. Yes. Um, so he has won several awards, including the Boston Globe Horn Book Award, the California Young Reader Medal, the National Book Award for Young People's Literature, um, mm-hmm. and then for Scythe, he won the Prince Award. Yeah. Uh, so lots of awards, ridiculous amount of books. Um, he's currently living in L.A., it looks like, from all of the information I can find. Uh, and he's also written for um, Disney Channel original movies, and oh, he's writing the decoms, huh? Yeah, and uh, Whoa. of the decoms <laughs> and animorphs. Wait, what? He 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 wrote the TV scripts for episodes of Goosebumps and Animorphs. Okay, no, uh, writing Animorphs stuff makes a lot of sense for this one. Right? <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah. I'm tracking. So that's kind of the broad overview of Neil Schusterman, our mm-hmm. illustrious author for this book. 
Um, I did feel like in researching that, I'm like, there's some things in here that make a lot more sense now. <laughs> they make I a am, lot of sense. I am a little surprised at the age of the writer. Oh, do you think he was younger? Yeah, I, I would have said, I don't know, like, just, just not quite that age. I don't know. It's not that okay. far off from what I was thinking, but still not that age. I don't know. Yeah, he hasn't turned a corner yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can we discuss that topic? Because how awkward would it be if your grandmother turned around and looked younger than you? It'd you be guys, the worst thing you ever. Guys, and you guys just didn't have like, a grandmother, I did. <laughs> the, the pressure to like look younger than your grandmother or your mother is all of a sudden a problem. Like... <sighs> But I look older than you now. Now I've got to turn the corner. I wasn't going to turn the corner. <laughs> and then, like, my questions is my questions are like, okay, till death do us part no longer becomes a thing. Like, cause like, till forever? Like, till forever? I mean, till eventually a, a safe walks through the door, maybe. <laughs> maybe if they ever do. Like, yeah. it's random, pretty much. So, mm-hmm. I which think I, you, do, I, you, you would see a massive change yeah. in relationships. I do like that our first introduction to Faraday is him basically kind of sort of being a jerk because he openly knows that Citrus family is utterly worried one of them is about to die and he's just asking for food and lemonade. But he doesn't say at the beginning, oh, I just, I'm killing time, not killing you. Like, he's just like, I want some lemonade. No, no, I'm here for your neighbor. They're not home yet. The fact that Rowan's grandmother is married to a bot. I, I am that, curious. That was just glossed over too. It's just like yeah. ended up that he wasn't indeed a bot. Just boom, that's it. That's the last year. I like. Why would you feel the need to lie about that? Like at, at this point, in this point, like why are you lying about that? It's, it's still it, taboo-ish. <laughs> Maybe that that's how people are. I mean, people like th- there are things that are like one hundred percent socially acceptable in this day and age, and people are like, no, oh, I've I've never had filler put in. Like, like, no, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. We know you turned the corner. We got yeah. it. We got it. It's fine. I, there, there are a lot of implications for the idea that there's a robot that could pass for human, though. In just that one thing, there is <laughs> so much. So much that could be done with that. Yeah. <laughs> so Which much. I do expect to see in the future. Yeah, I was say there's a reason it's a trilogy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I've. I did find a couple quotes. So one in the beginning, uh, hope in the shadow of fear is the world's most powerful motivator. Probably one of my favorites. And then also one of my favorites, just small one is nothing we learn is useless. Hmm. So there we go, which I think the first one I want to say Rowan says, and then the second one Faraday says so. And such as just general snarkiness, like just, Oh, so, so does that mean, I don't know. What does she say? I don't think I wrote it down, but she's like, so if we're spatulas, then you're, what are you, safety scissors? Or are you just tools? Like, just Yeah, there, there's some it. good zingers in the beginning. Zingers. I also really like the zinger to the high blade after uh, Faraday is uh, gleans himself. Mm-hmm. And Ron looks at him and goes, oh, so you mean it's your fault? Oh, so it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> just... That's the kind of teen angst that I like. The the witty, just like, no, this isn't, nah, that's you. <laughs> Writing for teenagers has gotten a lot better. I mean, look at Back in the Day and like Back to the Future. 
Marty's pretty much a whole character trait. The only thing that was big for him was that he was cool. And oh boy, did he get mad if you called him chicken? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a classic. It's just the fragile masculinity. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole character for him. And oh man. Huh. <laughs> Poor Steven. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's all we have for this episode. Mm-hmm. Thanks, everybody, for watching and joining us. Yeah. So we're going to attempt the sign out. We, we, do, we, have, we have to say, if, if people wanted to talk to, to us a little bit more about these books or anything like that, outside of the conversation that we have here today, where can they find us? You guys can find me on Twitter as JM Bailey writes. We do also have an Instagram page called Love of Pages. Uh, you can find me across all social media as either Peppermint Gentleman or Peppermint Gent. And you can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media at Geek Elite Media. And our Facebook page is forward slash Geek Elite Media. You can find archived episodes of this podcast, which do now exist. Hey. And, and other podcasts, all from the network of Geek Elite at uh, geekly.com. But until next time, this is the love of pages reminding you to keep turning keep pages turning. and always geek out. Geek out. Geek out. <laughs>